Amen. Well, let's go ahead. We're going to read this chapter one more time. We're in Genesis chapter 3. Last week, we did not do an exposition of this chapter last week, or last week, three days ago. Sunday night, we did not do a uh, exposition of this chapter. We just talked about basically that this was the story of the fall of the, the fall of man, and we talked about in pretty good detail the original sin, or what we would call the fall of man, where sin entered into humanity. Amen. We spent quite a bit of time talking about that Sunday night. We, I will touch on it again when we get to verse seven, but we're going to do a bit of exposition tonight on this chapter. Uh, this is a humongous understanding. If you get the fall of man or the, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of original sin, the doctrine of depravity, however you want to talk about this, because there's a, all kinds of doctrines that are flow out from this. The understanding of what sin, when sin came in and what sin did to humanity has a huge impact on the rest of your theology. Because if you think that sin only kind of messed people up, then you could say things like TV preachers do and say that people are basically good. And you'd be right because they're still kind of good. But if you have an understanding of scripture like Paul did, there's no way you can come to that conclusion because if you read Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul lays out in gruesome detail that all have sinned, that none are righteous, that no one does good, that no one seeks after God, there's not one righteous. Amen? So if we have that understanding and understanding this is where it starts, then we can have a clearer understanding of redemption, the need for redemption, what Jesus did when he bought our redemption. Amen? All of these things, the atonement makes more sense when there's an actual problem, when there's something to actually be saved from, amen, or because of, amen. It was because of my sin that Christ came. It was because humanity was steeped in sin that Christ had to come, amen. He didn't come down here for good people. He even said as much. He said, it is not, it, it, is it not the sick that need a doctor? He didn't, he said, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinner. Amen. That's the whole point of scripture is leading us to the point of re uh, reconciliation in Christ. So tonight we're going to read through this and then we're going to uh, dissect this a little more. And then we'll touch on that again in verse seven. Okay. But we're going to read from the beginning of the chapter to the end. I'm going to read it out of the King James. And I know Kyle's like, yay. <clears throat> now, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman saith unto the serpent, we may eat of we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, 
God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and the tree uh, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I, saw, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eatest? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above all beasts of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise its heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And Adam called the name of his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto, uh, unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin, and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become one of us. To know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden till the ground, uh, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden a cherubim. And a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would help us in 
understanding and discerning your word, God. We pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. And God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that would receive this message tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I don't want to get into the very end of this, but I'm going to give you a hint right here at the very end because it says something that we all kind of get misunderstood, okay? Uh, where it says, uh, where did it go? No, verse 22, where he says, and he's going to become like us, knowing good from evil, or he's become like us, knowing good from evil, so we won't let him eat the tree of life and live forever. I believe that's what the ESV says, right? Does it say live forever? Verse 22, and live forever, yeah. Okay, here's the thing. Part of the curse was death. So therefore, God could not allow man, even though now he knew good from evil, a lot of good that did him, Part of the curse was that he could no longer have access to the tree of life, which he already had access to. The only tree that he could not eat from was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He could have ate it freely of the tree of life the whole time he was there. That's just a nugget. Store that away till we get there, okay? That's not all of what I want to say about that, but that's something that is of note that I want you to file away in your memory bank. We'll probably talk about it next week, okay? So, we start here in verse 1, okay? Now, I want to talk about the serpent, because there's a lot of talk about the serpent and really Satan. Um, it's just a snake. Now, I will give you that this is a snake, okay? Or a serpent, however you want to look at it. It's a serpent, okay? It's a real creature being controlled, okay? Now, this creature is either Satan or he is a serpent that is infused or being manipulated or under the influence or how, how, how do we say it? Uh, he was possessed by Satan, amen? Now, if you want just a few references of Scripture for this, turn with me to Revelation 12, okay? Revelation 12. When you get there, say amen. Did you really get there that fast? Amen. Wow, man, you're fast. Revelation 12, verse 12. Nine. Now we'll read this together. It says, and the, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now this chapter of Revelation, we're seeing an ultimate throwing down of Satan, or we can see a reference to the throwing down of Satan that happened in eternity past, i.e. after, because how many of y'all realize that 
Satan did not fall. Now, I, I, this is just my opinion. Okay, I'm going to put my opinion out here. But there's no way that Satan could have fallen before the end of chapter 1. Because when God got done with everything he made, he said it was good. Very good. There was nothing at that point that was bad. According to Genesis 1. So I don't see that Satan fell before the earth was made or whatever people say, okay? Because God didn't start his creative process until Genesis 1. So I would have to say that i.e. the fall of Satan had to have happened somewhere in between the creation of man and man's sin. Because everything that God had made in chapter 1 was good, very good, in God's own words. Amen? So we understand that, okay? That's just my opinion. You can take it for all it's worth, okay? Nobody else has a biblical fact any stronger than that to back their case up, okay? No scripture anywhere says that. Just telling you. There is not a scripture one that disseminates when angels were created. Everybody that makes a guess, that's what they're doing. They're making a guess. They guess that angels were made before everything else was made. We don't have a biblical foot to stand on to say that. Okay? I'm, that's, I'm not telling you they didn't. What I'm telling you is, from the Bible, I can't tell you that. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. Not anywhere. As a Bible teacher, I'm not teaching what I think it says. Teach what it says. Okay? Everything that he made. I would guess that angels were made in that time frame. But angels hadn't fallen in that time frame. That's what I'm saying. Because everything that he made right then, he said everything was good. Okay? That at that point, biblically, he said everything was good. So I can't disseminate that angels were. If they did or if he made them at some point in there, that's Without question, they had to have been made when he was creating, right? Number two, they couldn't have fallen, I don't think, before that point because everything was good. So I think you may be right. I just can't prove it in Scripture where they were made, you know what I mean, or when. Because the Bible really doesn't tell us, okay? doesn't talk about it. Uh, and I think mainly it's because, number one, angels serve God. Right. Number two, in the New Testament, it says they are sent to serve those who are to inherit eternal life. Right. So angels aren't something in the uh, they weren't an object of God's thought process of trying to get us. And they're, they're not something that we need to worry about. You know what I mean? We're not in charge of them. It's not, not, it has nothing to do with us. Amen. They serve God 
and they, they come and serve those who inherit eternal life. That's what scripture says, right? So, as far as angels being created, they could have been created before in before God said, when, when God said, let there be light. Amen? Because Lucifer himself was what? A light bearer. Angel of light. He even comes to us even now as a fallen angel comes to us as an angel of light, right? So very well could have been made before then, okay? Definitely, in my opinion anyway, not fallen before then. So anyway, we're talking right here. Uh, go to, since we're in Revelation, go ahead to Revelation 20 and verse 2. And we'll read another verse that's pretty similar and it's just describing Satan or the dragon in Revelation, okay? Now here again it says, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Now this is obviously the grander context of this is the millennium, right? But it's still giving you a description of Satan as the serpent, as the dragon, ancient, right? Now, one more place I want you to go is go to John chapter 8. The book of John chapter 8. Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 44, I believe. This is what happens when you don't write stuff down. Take notes, Carl. Yeah. Now, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, right? Now watch this. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father, uh, do, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Amen? So now we're seeing Satan described again as a liar or a deceiver, right? As a murderer, right? And, and you'll say, well, he didn't murder anybody in the garden. No, he didn't physically murder anybody. Spiritually, though, amen, let's go back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, we see here this serpent is not just a snake, okay? It is a snake, but it's not just any old average snake, amen? Number one, let's look at what the scripture says about the serpent itself, okay? About the serpent, it says, now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, crafty doesn't necessarily mean evil, okay? What I want you to understand is this beast, outside of being possessed by Satan, was crafty. That's good or bad. Could be either one. Meaning that the snake is sharp and knows when to leave knows when to attack you know what i mean that's what snakes do right watch them they're pretty smart they know when to get out of town most of the time if you see a snake it's because you snuck up on him because if he sees you first you ain't gonna see him you know what i mean that's how snakes operate they're cunning they're crafty right 
Not, not in a bad way, but in a smart way. God made him that way, okay? Which was made this, this beast of the field the perfect device for Satan to convince Eve to eat this apple. Now, I don't know if all the animals could talk, okay? But I know nowadays animals don't talk. So I'm thinking it may have should have threw a red flag to Eve that this snake was talking to him, okay? That's just my own personal opinion. I don't have biblical foot to stand on in making this assumption, okay? What I am saying is you don't see anybody else, any other animals in the Bible talking that said Balaam's donkey, okay? So let's just be clear that this is not an average setting and this is not an average thing that this snake is speaking, okay? So let's just get that cleared up because snakes don't talk nowadays, do they? No. So the, the fact that this snake is talking is clearly evidence that it's not just a snake, okay? Let's just talk about reality, things that we understand, okay? Rationality. It's not hard to rationally go, this isn't a normal snake, because, I mean, I, my uncles had snakes. I had cousins who owned snakes. Mike owns a snake. Has your, has your snake ever looked at you and said, hey, where's my mouse at today? <laughs> oh. Really? Huh. Maybe he's had enough. Maybe, maybe. Sometimes they'll go four, five, six months out in the wild without eating, so it's not uncommon. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, not here to give a lecture, lecture on snakes. Mike knows more about feeding snakes than I do. <laughs> the second thing that I notice is that the devil misquotes God. Look what he says. I want to, I'm going to read it out of the ESV. He says, and he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And even the King James says uh, the word any right here. Watch this. King James, verse 2. And the serpent said, uh, or uh, verse 1. Uh, where'd he go? And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He's misquoting God. He's saying, God said you can eat of every tree. Didn't he say that? You can eat of any tree. That ain't what God said. And God didn't, either way you want to take it, if he's saying God said you can eat of any tree, or if you take it like the ESV is saying, where he says uh, to the woman actually said, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now he's saying she can't eat of any tree. So either way you take it, he's taking it to the extreme. Okay, you see how you can take this verse one way or the other? In the, in the King James, it sounds like he's saying, didn't he say you could eat of any tree? And then the ESV, it sounds like he's saying, didn't he say not to eat of any tree? Either way you're taking it, it's the extreme, and it's not exactly what God said anyway, right? God said you could eat of every tree except the tree of life, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of the tree of life. You can eat of every other tree, right? So the devil right here, or Satan or the serpent, this is the first indication that this is not just a nice little crafty animal. His very first words out of his mouth is misquoting 
what God said, right? And that's how every false doctrine comes out. It sounds almost exactly like what God said with a little twist. Amen? It's exactly what happened. He said, didn't God say you could eat any tree in the, in the garden? Well, no. Yeah, he said we could eat of every tree except that one, right? And that's what she says, right? Because that's her answer. And I think I would tend to go with the King James translation on this where he's saying, did he not say that you could eat of any tree? Because that's how she answers the question. Even in the ESV, that's how she answers the question. She answers the question like, yeah, we can eat of any tree, right? Go ahead and read it. Right, you shall not eat. So he's telling you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, so he's putting the, he's turning around saying, God's telling you, just don't eat of any of these trees. Isn't that how people do you? They know, they know one little commandment. They're like, oh, you're just breaking everything now. Can't do any of this. God's no fun. And that's his whole ploy anyway, right? Later on, that's exactly what he said. God's trying to hold out on you. Because he knows if you eat this tree, you'll be like him. It's this whole ploy. Either way, he's misquoting God. He's taking God out of context. Amen? The woman, watch her response. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees. Uh, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said... You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you should die. Now, here's the second thing that I want you to realize. Satan started out misquoting God and already has Eve misquoting God. Or, one commentator I read says, at this point, it's obvious that either Eve has just misunderstood God herself just like the serpent may have misunderstood God we obviously understand the serpent's coming to deceive her so he didn't misunderstand God he's purposely misquoting God that's what I would say right Satan isn't doing this by accident he has a plan right so the woman after hearing God's word being misquoted she then adds her own spin to it Right? She says, yeah, God said we can't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden or we can't even touch it, which God never said. God didn't say they couldn't touch it. He said you can't eat it. They could have picked it up, thrown it away, fed it to other animals. They could have done whatever they wanted with the fruit other than eat it. Amen? They could have took them and, and dried them out and made little ornaments like people do with gourds. You're right, possibly, maybe she had a misinterpretation from Adam telling her what God said, okay? Maybe you're right, maybe you are. What I do notice is that the serpent misquoted God and then Eve misquotes God. 
You know what I mean? So there is a literary connection that we have with him misinterpreting and then her misinterpreting or taking liberty, seeing how she thought, well, the devil took liberty or the serpent took liberty with what God said, so now I can. You know what I mean? And that's where we all kind of get into error, where we go, well, this is what it could mean, and it could mean this, and it could mean that. No, the Bible means something. Amen? There's an original intended meaning, and that's what we're looking for. Not what I think it says, not what you think it says, but what does it say? You know what I mean? That's what we're looking for. And Eve was doing the opposite. She's kind of adding another stipulation. And that's what almost every person who's just living by the letter of the law does. They'll, they'll keep the law, and then they're going to add their own thing to it, too, like the Pharisees did. Right? They had their own law. They, they had the law, and then they had their traditions that they added to it. Right? And then all of a sudden, this becomes truth, and that's not even what God said, and she misses the whole point of why God said don't eat the fruit. Okay? Now watch what Satan does. Watch what Satan does. She responds and adds her own twist to it. Verse 4 and 5, Satan contradicts what God says, okay? Because God said, the day that they eat it, they shall surely die, right? Watch what Satan says. He says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now stop right there, right here. He's simply contradicting God, okay? He's flat out saying the opposite of what God says, which should have been another red flag to Eve that this is not just a snake, okay? Like, if the fact that the snake was talking to you wasn't enough of a hint, and the fact that the snake misquoted God wasn't enough of a hint, when the snake totally contradicted what God said, that should have been like big sirens going off in her head, right? But the problem is, Satan, when he contradicted, God went on to show her or uh, lie to her about how wonderful this fruit is and how it's going to make you like God and how it's going to let you know good from evil, right? The problem with all of humanity is we think that if I could really know good from evil, then I would be able to control. See the problem? What really was at stake with the knowledge of good and evil was not God worried about them knowing good from evil. God knew that when they stepped outside of what he said, now they're going to try to be live autonomously and in control of their own life. And they're going to act like they don't need God. Because that's what happens when people think they got it all figured out. I'm going to do it my way. How many... I, don't, I can't tell you how many times that I talk to people who don't think they need God. All the time. It's part of the fall. It's part of the, the deception that this knowledge was going to make me 
power, if it was going to make me like God, it was going to mean that I didn't have to be subservient to God. But the devil enticed her with it. Watch what he says. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. First of all, man and woman, we already cleared this up in chapter 2, right? Chapter 1 and chapter 2, actually. Male and female created he them. In the image of God created he them. Amen? So let's just already understand that the devil was tempting Adam and Eve with something that they already possessed beyond what he had possessed enough. Satan was not like God, was not made in the image of God, was not created, formed in the image and the likeness of God. He was a, a cherubim. He was an angel. He was, amen? He did not possess God's qualities of likeness or his image. Amen? And he is literally deceiving Eve, thinking, number one, God left something out of you. He, he, he's holding out on you. But if you eat this fruit, you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. The reality was that they were already created in the image and the likeness of God. They absolutely were as close to being, excuse the phrase, they were as close to being like God as they ever would be. Amen? That was as close as they were ever going to get. Ever. Because they were created beings, number one. And God is the, there's only one God, right? He's the only infinite, holy, all, everything God, right? They're never going to be that. But they were as close as they would have ever been at that point. If that's a thing. You know what I mean? They were closer than they ever were going to get. Amen? Period. That was, that was it. Amen? They were never going to get any closer to being like God than they were right then. And Satan approaches them and says, but if you eat this fruit, you're going to know good and evil. And then you'll be like God. Now, this isn't a lie, totally, because even God, in what we just read in the end at verse 22, says they are like us, knowing good and evil. Right? He says that. But you have to understand God knows good and evil from the perspective of complete holiness, complete righteousness, complete uh, 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 just justice. Holy, you know, love, all the qualities of God that he is, that he's infinitely all of those things, and we're not. And for a finite creature to possess the knowledge of good and evil is obviously a very bad thing. Not only does the, the knowledge of good and evil bring about this destruction and bring about an idea that we're going to be autonomous and live for ourselves, but it also starts building up our own self-righteousness about knowing good and evil. Well, I'm good, but you know, you're not. And then it helps us deceive our own selves because 
If you, if you talk to anybody and you ask them, well, you know, are you a sinner? Well, no, no, I'm not. You know, that guy on TV who murdered a million guys or, you know, 10 people or, you know, the people out there, you know, committing adultery. Those guys are sinners. Not me. But the Bible says that if I say I have not sinned, then I'm a liar and the truth is not in me. Amen. The reality of sin in the human existence now is a testament to what we're reading in this chapter. Amen. Satan is deceiving her. He, he lies and presents the tree as something worth obtaining. And by it, Adam and Eve will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want to read a portion, but we can go back for a moment and just think about what we read in John 8, 44. That he's a liar, the father of lies. This lie was the first lie that we know that he told. That God was somehow holding out on them and if they'd eat this tree, then they're going to be like God. Well, that's a half truth because the reality is they're already like God. Second of all, they will be like God in that they know good and evil, but they will only know good and evil from experiencing good and evil. Not because they know all things and will be able to know what is all good and what is all bad. Because people still don't know that now. Why don't they know that? Because they thought they could. They thought they could do it outside of God, outside of his understanding of good and evil. And they thought they could do it on their own. See, this is that autonomous thing where I think I can do it myself. That's the reality of what sin does. Every time somebody gets into sin, they separate themselves from the church. It happens every time. They say, oh, no, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And then, you know, if I go visit them right now, they'll be like, oh, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. We, you know, it's kind of down and out, whatever. And then four months later, I'll hear, well, we were really having to struggle with drugs. or We were really having to. Right? And I'll hear all kinds of stories, all because when sin comes in, separation comes in. That's exactly what happens in this story immediately. Amen? Let's finish reading this. I don't want to get stuck here. I don't want to get stuck right there. <clears throat> I do have a note that I, would, I, I do want to read on this chapter, this, this set of verses here. <clears throat> the serpent not only directly contradicts what God has said, but goes on to present the fruit of the tree as something that she needed. By eating it, the couple would be like God, knowing good and evil. The irony of the serpent's remarks should not be overlooked. The couple, unlike the serpent, has been made in the image of God. In this way, they are already like God. God. Moreover, being in the image of God, they are expected to exercise authority over all of the beasts of the field, which included the serpent. And now why God made them? Gave them dominion over all the beasts of the field, over the fowls of the air, over the earth, right? Now watch this. By obeying the serpent, however, they betrayed the trust placed in them by God. 
This is not merely an act of disobedience. It is an act of treachery. Those who were meant to govern the earth on God's behalf instead rebelled against their divine king and obeyed one of his creatures. Wow. Does that put it in perspective? It's not just a flippant sin. You know, you ever talk, well, you know, yeah, I did that, but it's, I didn't murder anybody. They start qualifying their sin is not as bad as murder or other things. But the reality is every sin is treason against the Almighty. It is treachery. It is treason. We are committing acts of war, of violence against God's own character. So what we see in the Garden of Eden is not just a little sin. It is God's divine appointed leaders of the earth who are supposed to be governing the animals are allowing the created things to talk them in to rebelling against God and doing what they say instead of what God says. This is treason. And remember how we talked about sin is not just, you don't disqualify sin by what it is, but what, who you're sinning against. And understanding that God created all things and nothing in all of creation up to this point had stepped out of God's bounds. Knowing the deep act of treason puts in perspective why the fall was so great. Because the act wasn't, the act itself wasn't the qualifier of why it was such a great sin. It was who the sin was done against. They committed treason against the Almighty, the infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe. They should have vaporized immediately. Like, it's grace that they still breathed the breath after eating the fruit. Amen? So, I'm going to read just a little bit more. You will not surely die. It is sometimes claimed that the serpent is correct when he says these things to the couple. They do not die. Adam, and Eve, or Adam lived another 930 years. Uh, and Adam lives to be 930 years old. Genesis 5 and 5. Further, their eyes were opened. And God acknowledges that the man becomes like one of us, knowing good and evil. Yet, the serpent speaks half-truths, promising much but delivering little. Their eyes indeed were opened, and they came to know something, but it was only that they were naked. <laughs> they knew good and evil by experience, but their sense of guilt made them afraid to meet God. They have become slaves to evil, and while they do not cease to exist physically, they are expelled from the garden sanctuary and God's presence, cut off from the source of life and the tree of life. They are in the realm of the dead. They are uh, What they experience outside of Eden is not life as God intended, but spiritual death. Now that puts an exclamation point on the idea of this sin being 
this great. And they died spiritually. So when Paul in Romans 5 says all died in Adam, that's exactly what he meant. Because Adam died that day. He was spiritually dead, cut off from God at that point. Now God does show up and show uh, the, the atoning forgiveness of clothing him, right? Showing that he's making a covenant with Adam, correct? That's what he's doing. But the reality is his life was still forfeit. And Adam died. And every man since Adam has died because the wages of sin is death. Amen? That's reality. Okay? Now, I told you we're not going to get through all of this, okay? Verse 6 says this. The woman, and we talked about this before, okay? So I'm not going to go into it in great detail. It says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Now here's the thing. There's three things that Eve saw. Number one, she saw the fruit was good for food. Number two, she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. And I want you to notice what this says, because the King James says the same words, okay? It says, and it was, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Not just the tree would make you wise, but it, it was to be desired to make one wise. Amen? So her desire in wanting it was to become wise like God. The same thing Satan did, right? I will set up my throne above the throne of God, right? So what Satan wanted to do was to exalt himself above God, to be God. The reality that Satan perpetrated or caused man to perpetrate nearly the same crime, it's mind-boggling, ain't it? She took the fruit and she ate, then she gave it to her husband and he ate. Now. I can tell you that Adam was probably just standing back going, yeah, yeah, God said you're going to die if you eat that. And Eve ate it, and he looked at her and said, she's still breathing? All right, I'll take a bite. <laughs> right? Right? He let her be the guinea pig, okay? Look, and everybody in here would have let their other, other... Some of you ladies have been like, Adam would have been eating that first, okay? You've been like, I don't know about all that, <laughs> right? You've been like, I, yeah. but the problem is every one of us would probably go, I, I would never eat the fruit if I was Eve. I would never eat the fruit if I was Adam. But the truth is, outside of Christ, we'd have ate that fruit just like them. We would have ate the fruit just like they did. Here's the kicker. If we believe what the New Testament says, 
we did. Amen? All fell in Adam. That means we're all guilty of eating that fruit. We all share the guilt that Adam had, period. That's what the New Testament teaches. Amen? We're all, we're all fallen in Adam, and we all share that sin with Adam. Amen? All right. Last bird. What time is it? 727? All right, I got to close. <laughs> so before I close, I want you to, I want you to keep your uh, notes on verse 7 because this is where we're going to come back to on Sunday night. We're going to come back to verse 7 here. And everything after verse 7 is probably going to go a lot faster than before verse 7. But verse 7 says this. It says, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And the verse 8 is really a punctuation to verse 7. It says, and when he heard the sound of the Lord God in the midst of the garden, they hid themselves. Now, I told you last week that the word Lord God is used all throughout this chapter, right? I want you to go back and read tonight. But there's two places in this chapter where the word the Lord God is not used. And it's when Satan is talking. He does not call him Yahweh Elohim. He just calls him Elohim. He's not going to use God's holy personal name. He just uses Elohim. He said, hath Elohim really said? He didn't say Yahweh Elohim like Moses did throughout the whole thing, right? When he's writing this story, it's the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. And the Lord God, even, even here in verse, if you skip to verse, uh, uh, da, 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 da. where are we at? We were on eight, right? Verse 9, and the Lord God called to Adam. It's the next thing. Verse 7 and verse 8 are the results of eating the fruit. And you see immediate, immediate judgment. Immediately their eyes are open, but they did not get the reward they thought they were going to get. And that's what sin does. Promises one thing and delivers death. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to close. Father God, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, that tonight we have just barely started scratching the surface on this teaching God through the, the fall of man, God. And we ask that you would help us to understand the gravity of the sin of Adam, God, the sin of Eve, God, the, the fall of man in the garden and the redemption, though that comes through Jesus Christ. He came to set us free from the curse, set us free from the curse of the law and to have eternal life in him. Lord, we ask that you would help us to rightly divide your word, help us to meditate on this. And as we come back Sunday night, Lord, let us be ready to finish this and have a com more complete and a more full understanding of your word. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.